Good morning, Chair City Church. How are you? <laughs> Glorious day. Glorious day. Son, baptism, people. And although God didn't give me my prayer that the Yankees would be in first place when we first came into the building, the Yankees are in first place this morning. So I will leave you French Canadians alone today. I'll not insult you and your cooking and all that stuff. I'll leave you people from Winchester alone. But I thought I'd go to the whole Yankee Red Sox thing. All right, so listen. Why is it that we don't see more people go to church? Yeah. And why in a country where we have all this freedom to worship that we don't see people rally around this message called the gospel of Jesus Christ, this message that has changed the lives of millions and millions of people, that have made the world such a better place to live? That's a fact. If you could be part of something like that, something that had just gone through the test of time, had truly accomplished so much, it's extraordinary what this message has accomplished, wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Now, why not? I don't know what the answer is. Maybe it's because the church got away from the simple message supported by a simple method. You know, the church is a big deal. I do believe with all my heart. I know the church has changed lives. It changed my life. I talk with this about my kids. That You know what? I, I like to talk about logic and theory, and, and I, I have my kids read books. I'd actually, people kind of dispute the, the Gospels and dispute the Bible and call it as fallacy. We dig into it. I said, all oh, this is intriguing and it kind of stirs me, but at the end of the day, no one can take away what this message did to me. Right? I don't make the truth subjective to my feelings and my emotions, but I know what I know, what took place within me and what happened to Dave Trelongo, that this message of the gospel changed my life radically at 28 years old. Thanks, Dad. It's probably about 18 years too late. Okay. And I'll tell you something else. This thing called the church... It's not an institution. It's not a denomination. It's not a hierarchy of leaders. It's not a location. It's not a tradition. And it's not a building. We are the church, right? Meaning the church is a movement. And it's a movement around a very simple message that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God and he died on a cross, he rose from the dead, and he is alive. That's the message. And this message was supported by a simple method where the participants loved one another. I mean, they really loved one another. They had some skin in the game. So in this series, we're going through the book of Acts, and we're learning how this church got started, how it is still here today, amazingly, that one-third of the world today, one-third of the populated world, in one way or another, acknowledges Jesus Christ for who he is, the Son of the living God, and God, and a deity. They believe in Jesus, one-third of the world. How did that happen from a small group of people huh, living in a really nowhere land of Judea being oppressed by one of the greatest, mightiest armies known to mankind, the Roman army? We left off last week at Acts chapter 5 where the persecution now begins to come in. 
They're pulling in the apostles, St. Peter, St. John, St. Andrew, you might know them, these guys in that way. They're pulling in John and Peter and Andrew, telling them to stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. And Peter says, you know, you do what you have to do. We're going to do what we have to do. We know what we've seen with our own eyes. Jesus Christ is risen, and you killed him, right? Okay. And then we go into chapter 7 of Acts, and in kind of a, in a sad moment, we see Stephen now, meaningful, dear Stephen, and he's grabbed and he's arrested by this group of men who is sent out and represent the religious leaders of the day, kind of like the Jewish, San, the Jewish Supreme Court, if you will, called the Sanhedrin. And they, they, they take Stephen in, and, and this group is headed by a guy, you know, who, who's named Saul, and he hates these people who are professing this name of Jesus. He cannot stand them. It's, the hate is passionate. And there now Stephen stands in their midst, and he begins to tell this guy, Saul, and all these other Jewish people who took him in. He begins to tell them of their history, of their relation with God. And he ends this message, one of the longest messages in what we know as the Bible. He ends it with this. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one God had sent us. And at the end of this spectacular message, there's no applause. There's no altar call. There's no invitation. There's no offering. There's a stoning. They throw rocks at Stephen till they kill him. And Stephen becomes the first known recorded martyr of the movement. And then Luke. Luke writes this letter. So this is a letter that we call the Book of Acts. But it's a letter that Luke, Luke was a physician, but he was a historian. And he goes out and he interviews personally tens and hundreds of people, eyewitnesses to the accounts of the crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus Christ, of the accounts of what happened around that surrounding, of the accounts of the beginning of the church. He talks to them and he records it. And he gives us this historical letter that we call the book of Acts. And, it's not, and we're going to jump into chapter 8, verse 1. And it says this, And Saul was there, meaning he was at the stoning of Stephen, giving approval of his death. Now Saul is a, a Hebrew name. You know, to the man that you know is the Apostle Paul or St. Paul, Paul could that name Paul could have came from a derivative of his Roman citizenship, which was unusual for a Jew, but he had it. It could be the Greek translation of Saul to Paul. But then this guy Saul was actually standing there, giving the approval, the thumbs up there, oh yeah, go get him when they stoned Stephen. And here's what happened next. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles, meaning the first, that first group of, well, 11, they added one later. Everyone except them was scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Just as Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, they, it would happen. Then verse 2, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged them off, both men and women, and put them in prison. So Saul's going house to house because that's where the movement began. People coming together, congregating, assembling in homes. People who believed in Jesus. And Saul becomes public enemy number one of these people. For three years he goes around, he's beating, he's killing, he's torturing the Christians. The more, they, the more he did it, the more they scattered. They scattered, but they never, not, they never stopped being who they were and doing what they did. You get me? They scattered, they scrambled, but they never stopped sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now at this point in history, I called them Christians, but they're not called Christians. There was no 
established church as we would know it. You know, pastors, you know, not even a New Testament. I don't want to say it was in the Bible or the Old Testament, but, but nothing what we would think it is today. This entire movement, because that's what it was. It was a movement. They, you know what they called it? They called it the way. History. World history tells us they called it the way. They did that because Jesus would often go around teaching, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Wow, what an audacious statement. What a narrow-minded statement, huh? Talk about maybe shooting too far. You want to start this great movement, this broad, deep, vital, growing, rapidly movement, and you're going to start out by saying, hey, I'm God, and the only way to get to heaven is through me. Wow. You think maybe this... You know, is he insane? Is he deranged? Is, is he kind of maybe self-deceived? Is he a Jewish zealot? Or maybe he was saying that because he knew he was God. And if he was just a Jewish zealot, and, me, you know, and, and, and somebody that just was stirring up and motivating people, wouldn't it have fizzled out with such an audacious statement that it was built on, that whole movement? Wouldn't it have died out? As so many others we talked about last week, as so many other things that were not of God died out. But this one movement, even though they seemingly squashed it's the head of the movement, and even though the movement was based on this incredible statement that I am the way, and it was so based on it that that's what they called him, the way, because they were saying he is the way. He is God. The way to heaven, the way to eternity is Jesus. That it didn't fizzle, it didn't flounder, it flourished because it was divine. And it was supernatural. To God be the glory. Now, so now what happens here with Saul is something incredible. Something incredible happens in his life. And after three years of persecuting Christians, he has this moment. It's a moment that doesn't only change his life forever. It changes the history of the world. You say, oh, you're a preacher, you're a Christian. Of course, you're going to say that. You puff up these statements. Listen authentically and accurately, if you were to list, say, the top 10 things that change the history of the world, right up there in the front would be this moment right here. Right here. Acts chapter 9, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, now, the church, many of us, the way we perceive the church, and I don't know, when I see that word, I don't know what happens to some of you. The emotions kick up, bad thoughts, these thoughts, confused thoughts, you know? The filters come up, the preconceptions or perceptions come out. But what many people think about church, the way you see it, Jesus wouldn't be saying, Jesus would be saying, so, so, why do you persecute it? Why are you persecuting that organization? Why are you persecuting that organization, that, that denomination? That hearken, why are you persecuting it? But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Then in verse 5, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, Jesus replies. And Jesus is saying here, what he's implying here is what you do to my people, you do to me. I want that to sink in. What you do to my people, what you do to this movement, what you do to this church, you do to me. He's also saying that this group of people that make up this movement, they are my mouthpiece. They are my hands, my feet. They are my representation on this earth. They represent me. Jesus keeps talking to Saul. He says in verse 6, Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. 
Now, quickly going through it, what happens next, Paul follows Jesus' instructions. He meets up with a man who's shaken in his boots named Ananias, who God has met with and instructed to go and touch Paul's eyes and to restore his eyesight. Paul then, with his sight restored, he goes on to Damascus and other regions, and he goes on to the then-known world to share the message that Jesus is the Son of the living God. His message would be for people who were not only looking for the Messiah. His message would be for the entire world, and as I said before, it changed the entire world, and it is still changing the entire world. If someone were to say what one life, what one person changed the world and had more of an effect on this world in a positive way, in any way, it would be Paul, who was Saul. Paul spends the next 12 to 15 years educating himself about Jesus, meeting with apostles, going out there, talking to eyewitnesses, and building his knowledge of Jesus up. He goes to these places where they're assembling these churches, if you will, and he's slowly engaging himself in this movement. Over the next several years after that, He's stoned, he's beaten, he's shipwrecked, he's put in jail, he's tortured, and yet he continually and fearlessly brings and speaks the message of Jesus Christ. And after dedicating his life to doing this, to share in the gospel, to keep the movement going by creating these communities that he called church, these communities where people loved God and loved one another, sometime in his 60s, about A.D. 67, one morning, Paul is put in prison again. But this morning, the prison doors open. Sometimes the prison doors would open, he'd be free. (laughs) Angel would come, shake the earth, he'd be free. Times he'd be almost raised from the dead. But this time, the prison's door open, and he's let out into an area. And he likely recognizes that this is the area where they execute people. And then with little notoriety, not much attention, Paul is executed, and his life ends on earth but the impact of his life continues and what he's done for this movement continues because movements move right it keeps going and we here today at Cher City Church that's what we are we are part of this movement we are a movement and that movement continued today when we baptize six people huh (laughs) baptism is so important to us that's one of the ways we measure who we are by, are we baptizing people? Are we seeing people come to know Jesus? Are people following Jesus? If I were to give you the story and the history of the people in this tank, I could preach six different sermons. There's so much vitality. It's intriguing. It's life. It's wonderful, each one of them, to see what God has done in their life and how he's used them. I've watched them all live above themselves, live unselfishly. I, I say that. Truthfully, they have so encouraged me as a pastor. They've brought joy into my life. They've brought joy into this. That's what we are about, huh? We say we splash life as being followers of Jesus. So Paul gives his life to bring this simple message, huh? That's supported by a simple method. And he sums it up here in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 10. Just now, Paul is writing the letter. Huh? And verse 3 says this For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Okay, so it's all right there. What he's saying is okay, so here's the most important. So he's writing a letter 
to, this, to the church, the people have gathered in the city of Corinth, part of Greece, and he's writing them back. He's hung out with them. He got them together. He created that group, that church, and now he's writing my letter back. And he's saying, listen, here is the most important thing. If you forget everything else, if you lose sight of, of everything, if you don't understand anything else, here is what is of most importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried. It's important to note that Jesus was buried because that's what you do with someone who's really dead. You bury them, right? That he was raised on the th third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living today, although some have fallen asleep. They've died. They've gone on. to. Because you hear that? Paul is saying, hey, I've gone out there. I've learned about Jesus. I've learned about his life. I've learned that he was seen alive after the crucifixion and by many people. I've learned about the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection. I learned that he walked amongst people. I've talked to tens and hundreds of people that said, I was there. I saw it. And a lot of those people, they're still alive today. You can go and talk to them. Then it says, and then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Why does Paul say this of himself. He spent, his, he spent the better part of his second half of his life serving God in an incredible way. And he says why in the next verse. He said, because I persecuted the church. And what you see there in that word, you see it again. And you see it every time in the New Testament when you see that word church. See that word, that English word church, when it was written in the original language, the, word, the Greek word there is ekklesia. And it doesn't mean building. And it doesn't mean the house of the Lord. I know, I, I stick you when I said it. You don't like that. It means a gathering of people, an assembling of people. People come together. That's what it means. Paul saying, I persecuted a gathering of people. I persecuted people. I didn't persecute a building. I didn't persecute a denomination. I persecuted people. I persecuted the movement. That's what I did. But then he closes out in verse 10. He says this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I love it. I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Look what God has done in my life. Look what God has done in these six people's lives, and the best is yet to come, yes? Look what God has done in Dave Trelong, a warped, depraved kid from Brooklyn. Look what God, I am what I am because of the grace of God. This is what I want you to be able to look into that mirror when you get up in the morning and say, I am what I am because of the grace of God, yes? This is what I want you to say. When life taunts you and haunts you, you know, we're good. We memorize scriptures. We, we study things. We think about them, and then we get, and boom, we get blindsided by life, right? We just, we, it happens. This one does this, that happens. We, we just, and it hits us so fast, and we just react to it. And when that happens, I want you to turn around and look that difficulty in the face and say, I am what I am because of the grace of God. And I will not be overwhelmed by circumstances. I will not be governed by circumstances. I am what I am because of the grace of God. And I am not desperate. I am not in danger. I am what I am because of the grace of God. And I will yield and trust in God. Huh? And this simple message that Jesus Christ died. He was buried. He was resurrected. 
He lives, and he gave his life for my sins. So, Paul now brings us this simple message. And look, I want, to, I want you to get this. He's not saying that, okay, he's not saying, okay, listen. What he's saying is, look, <laughs> I don't know in the beginning of time with Genesis if seven days was 7,000 years or seven little days. I, I can't talk to you about that right now. Um, you know, all that stuff that's happened is end time stuff with the horses and the fire and the beasts. And yeah, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll get to that, you know, and, and some of that other doctrinal differences and, and, and what that will. Yeah, we, we can talk about that. And, you know, there's a lot of questions about the Old Testament. It can be confusion. And, and sometimes the Bible doesn't make sense. Here and all that stuff. And, 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 and Paul says, here's what you need to know. Here is what you can't lose sight of, that Christ died for our sin. He was buried. He was raised. And he appeared. He he lives. This is what you need to know. This is who we are. We are the movement. This is what the movement is focused on. This and participating in loving one another, huh? And truly coming alongside each other, carrying one another's burdens, and loving each other. When we fall, we fall forward and we fall together, yes? This is the movement. We don't condemn one another, and we don't stand and say, well, you know, yeah, but by the grace of God, I didn't do that. No, we say, well, I was thinking about doing that, huh? Right? At least I was. Just saying. Huh? Let's be real. Let's be transparent. Let's be godly. Let's focus on this simple, powerful message. And let's see people join us. Let's see people come in, those who are apart from God, those who are not coming to church, and let them see this power, this vitality, this welcoming atmosphere that when they come in here, and then they could just see this simple message, and they can follow Jesus, and we can stick him in the tank and put him under the water and praise God. When you see people out there, just say, hey, listen, my pastor wants to stick you under the water. Come on in, right? <laughs> have a cup of coffee, have some snacks, have some desserts, listen to music, and we'll stick you under the water. You go home, your life will be changed. All right. Okay, look, you know, how we doing? Okay, I got some time. Uh, I didn't think I'd get, I didn't think I'd have time. I've actually stayed on point. Wow, this is a miracle. <laughs> it is. I've, I've never not rambled. <laughs> you, know, you know, I have ADHD and HD, right? So... Maybe my adrenaline is going so much with this baptism that it's like, it's, like a, it's helped me to stay focused. All right. Okay, let me go. Let me go here. I was thinking about this, but I didn't insert it in, but I'll go here now. Let me just try and gather my thoughts. So you have Saul who becomes Paul, right? And he persecutes these, these people who are coming together to love each other. You know, they're sitting there in their homes. They're thanking God because now they know they're going to be with God in eternity. You know, they're, they're coming alongside each other just like we are here. And boom, the door kicks down and there's Saul. He's grabbing them by the hair. He's dragging them out. He's kicking them. He's spitting on them. He's putting them in jail. He's separating them. This is what Paul is doing. This is St. Paul who killed St. Stephen. Not just just how, that's how it went down. Now, it, he changed. But this is how it works in God's economy. Good thing happened to bad people. How could it be? This is the story of the Bible. But God is glorified. We're all drawn closer to God. If you listen to Stephen's, or you go and read Stephen's sermon, it's incredible. The grace and the forgiveness that comes. Oh, that word forgiveness, there it goes. Okay, that's where I wanted to get to. <laughs> Paul comes around 
And we talk about how Paul, his life changed the world, how his teachings, he wrote two-thirds in the New Testament, right? Two-thirds of what we know as the New Testament, this man Paul wrote. And all this happened because in this, the other apostles, those other 500 people, they forgave him. They did. They had to. They forgave him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so when he came around them, and he said, when he went and talked to these people, and he said, yeah, those 500 brothers and sisters, they're still alive. I've talked to them. They saw Jesus. Amongst those people was like, you're the guy that put my mother in jail. You're the guy that punched my father in the face. You're the guy that had my cousin killed. It is. And yet they forgave him. They did not carry this anger because they weren't against anything. They were for this message of loving one another because who they were in their identity, they were so taken by this truth that they had seen Jesus resurrected. They knew firsthand from someone they trusted that this happened. And they knew they were going to have eternity. And this was more meaningful to them than anything else. This was paramount. So you've got to get this. This has got to float your boat. That you can know God and you can be in eternity. That that mattered to them. And they could now forgive him rather than be angry. So now we come to this movement. Hear me, my friends. I'm, I'm passionate about this. Why we will stand by one another. Because in here, sometimes we forget we're a movement. And I know we're better than everybody else, but we're not. But I want, I, well, ooh, I was condescending statement. Maybe I shouldn't say we're better than anybody else. See, I think things. I don't always say them. So I, I kind of gave myself up there. I think we are doing it in such a wonderful way. I think what's happening here is so incredible. The relationship, the kindness, seeing people know, come to know Christ. I want to win. I am passionate about winning. But seeing people come to know Jesus. So I kind of garnished that statement up a little bit. Here. So somebody turns around in, in, in our movement and they, in our church and they, they say something that's insensitive or they say something rude or they're inconsiderate. And what do we do? We harbor. We maybe mention it to somebody else and they say, oh yeah, you know they did that to me too. And we harbor and we carry and we hold grudges and it builds and it builds. And this is not, this is not the movement. And we criticize. And then there's some gossip. Gossip is when you're talking about somebody, they're not there, and what you're talking about is not for their benefit. It's gossip. I do it every now and then. When I do it, I'll say, you know what? I'm gossiping right now. <laughs> I shouldn't be, but I'm holding myself accountable by saying I am. Now, God have mercy on me and give me about a week to go and talk to that person from my heart and tell them what's going on. That's what I do. You've, some of you have seen me do this. This is this is not the movement. This is what I think people think of when they consider church, that it's okay to do this. So look at the movement. Paul persecuted their relatives, their children, their grandparents, and they forgave him. Should we come to a place where we are holding grudges, holding negative opinions, carrying negative thoughts against people? who might do or say inconsiderate things, exhibit some inconsistency in their behavior? Because I personally is, am worse than anybody in here, and I really mean that. No comments. <laughs> I, I really mean that with all my heart. I tell my wife, I've still not met anybody more depraved than me, more inconsiderate than me, more selfish than me, more volatile than me. And I am what I am by the grace of God. 
And like Paul, I'm so compassionate about seeing people come to know the God I came to know and come to know a church like I came to know, a church that loved people and cared for people and sacrificed for people and didn't judge people. There's truth, but there's grace. Let grace come first. Truth is truth. We don't make truth. We don't change truth. Let it stand on its own. Let's carry one another's burdens. Let's talk openly and kindly to each other. Let's come alongside each other. This is the movement. Let's forgive one another. Today, if you are carrying anger for someone, you cannot forgive them. And if you forgive them, you cannot carry the anger. Do you know that? You cannot be thankful to God and from a place of thanksgiving, forgive that person who's caused you angst and injury. You cannot do that and be angry at the same time. And when you're carrying anger, you're killing yourself, man. You're draining yourself. And of course, have you stepped back and thought about this? On the circumstances and the person? <laughs> Sometimes we expect so much. It's like, getting, it's like getting on a highway and driving into New York City and expecting not to get caught in traffic or somebody flip you the bird. Why would you expect that? Why? It's like, oh, my, my, my mother-in-law said this. I got to say my, my mother-in-law. My mom is here, so I don't want to go after my mom. But it's like my mother-in-law always says this. She always says that. Well, then, didn't you expect she would say that? I mean, 27 years, you know? What did you think? Why, what are we doing? We're fooling ourselves. Look, we're, we're flawed people. We're imperfect people. And yet amazingly, the Bible says that God delights in us. We are the first of all his creation. And God, when we say God glorifies himself, he comes with this imperfect vessel and he does these wonderful, meaningful things that just blow people's mind over time. And they say, even if they don't believe in God, wow, that must have been God. That, that, Christ, that God stuff, that church stuff worked for you. And then they think, maybe it'll work for me, right? So forgive. Forgive one another. Forgive people in your family. Forgive people who have injured you. But right here in, the mo in this movement, in Chair City Church, let them know our message is simple and our method is to love one another. And that begins by forgiving each other, not carrying angst, not carrying hard feelings, not thinking critical of one another, but thanking God that I am who I am by the grace of God and God will use me to come alongside this person and bless them and love them and care for them. Yeah? All right. All right. So, worship team, why don't you come up? I'm, getting, I'm going on and on here. Why don't you come on up and we will finish out this glorious morning. So that's what you want to wrestle with, my friends. If you want to wrestle with whether or not Christianity is true, don't look at Christians that disappointed you. Don't look at what you might call hypocrisy. Don't look about how your mom and dad broke up even though they brought you up in church. Don't look at these things. If you're going to know, is this God thing true? Is this Christian thing true? Is this church thing true? Then wrestle with this. Did Christ die for your sins? Was he buried? Was he raised from the dead? And was he seen alive? And I'm telling you, he was. And that's it. That's the starting point. That's the stopping point. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now this morning, I want to ask you, have you ever embraced that personally? Have you ever made that your own? I never had. I never did. 28 years old, I, I finally come around and say, man, there is a God. And yeah, I, I guess there, this Jesus, there, there is Jesus. 
Why have I even kicking this around? Why am I thinking about, why do I even think about doing good when all that I am is bad? What is this? It just keeps coming to me to do good, to think of good. I'm even starting to feel a little bad about being bad. There is a God, and he had a son that he gave for you, that you would not perish in eternal damnation, but have everlasting life, and have, have, have peace and joy here on earth. Huh? So my question is this as we wrap it up. Can you believe that, that Jesus died for you? That he was buried, that he was raised from the dead. He died for your sins. Can you thank God for that this morning? Can you own it? Has there ever been that moment where you had this wow moment, like somehow things became clear to you? My kids laugh at me when I have that. They're like, duh, you know? They take way too much pleasure in it, way too much pleasure in this. Now, <laughs> my parents are around here this weekend, and every time my mom does something, they're like, oh, God, she's this very good, you know? I love my children. I love them. They make me feel young one day and old the next, huh? Listen, is, is today this day for you where you have this wow moment where things become clear, where the filters are down, the distractions are put aside, God has stirred your heart, God, Holy Spirit, he's stirring you, he's giving you things to think of. He, you know what's happening? He's drawing you close to him. No hocus pocus, no, no somebody trying to manipulate. This is God working in you, his creation, like he worked in me, like he's worked in those six people, like he's worked in hundreds of millions of people in the history of the world. Maybe today's your day. Maybe today is your moment to join the movement, this incredible movement, this ecclesia, this gathering of people that has changed the world, this, this getting together of loving each other, of being part of something beautiful that's changing lives. Why would you not want to be here? huh? Why would you not want to be a part of something that's going to make you see the world from a positive place, that's going to make you see yourself for all the good God has put in you, that's going to give you courage, that's going to give you wisdom, that's going to give you a beautiful boldness that has done this in so many people's lives why would you not want to be a part of this this is what it is it's a movement and maybe today is your day to join this movement as they sing this last song perhaps you want to reflect you want to talk to God and you want to make that decision that today will be the day that you believe that Jesus died for you that he was buried that he was resurrected and that he was raised from the dead, and he's alive, and he's here with you today. To God be the glory.